Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and we are officially at episode 200 of the greatest sports entertainment podcast on God's green earth. Couldn't have gotten here without my fighting Irish counterpart, KP, Kevin Patrick. We promise you a big episode 200, a special episode 200, dare I say a great episode 200. So let's look no further than the greatest of all time, kind enough to grace us with his time, Mr. John Cena. John, welcome back to ATB. Thank you for your time. Thanks, and congrats. 200 episodes. It seems unreal. I didn't realize we were that far into the journey until our producers informed me, and uh, we knew we had to do something big, something special. So we'll try to make it through this one and get you guys to 201 and onwards. Hey, I, I took notes from the last time we did this. I left my notes at home. Cool. No right notes on. today. Let's just talk. This is a little free-form chat. I got Don't a get powerful... To sit down. Locally brewed coffee? Let's just chat. Do we know for a fact it's locally brewed or is that speculation? No, we know for a fact it's locally brewed. Yes. I don't want to, not locally roasted. I don't know that for a fact. But, <laughs> but it was some, locally. Some brew it. Brewed here in yep. the greater Milwaukee area. Yep. Uh, how on earth did we get here, John? The last time we saw you, the uh, last time you and I really had a full-blown discussion was around the WrestleMania time where you returned uh, to Battle Austin Theory. And it seemed as though, in the wake of that, that we probably weren't going to see John Cena, at least with any sort of regularity, uh, in the months that would come. Obviously, things change, big happenings in Hollywood. Sure. If you wouldn't mind, walk us through how that all came to be. Uh, well, uh, that, that's a, certainly a, a, a happening that's beyond my control. Sure. So I'm fortunate enough to have a lot of things on the uh, movie and television side lined up, <clears throat> uh, none of which I can talk about. Sure, understandable. we're in the middle of, of a labor dispute. Sure. Uh, then the labor dispute happens, and the Screen Actors Guild decides as a, an entirety to, to go on strike, which uh, either leaves me idle or um, asking questions of, well, well uh, what, what can I do? What is within my control? Uh, and... I wanted to see if it was okay to come back to tour, so we, uh, you know, called the proper people at SAG. We got written uh, legal okay that it would be okay to come back to WWE. And once I had that, uh, then I could ask the question of, "Hey, um, WWE, do you guys want me to come back and hang out for a little bit?" So uh, here we are. Was there any sort of resistance that you were met with, or is that was it a pretty clean process from your end, knowing? No, where I you just came think from? in the beginning of the strike, and it's. Uh, you know, it has been going on a long time. I, I do hope we can find a resolve soon that everybody's happy with. But uh, in the beginning of the strike, I think everyone was trepidatious on what can you do and what can't you do. And I know along the, the path of the strike, there have also been some situations on, well, we, we shouldn't do this and we should do this. And uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to have a home in WWE and very grateful for the, the Screen Actors Guild to allow me to be a part of it. We're grateful, right, to have John Cena back here weekly on WWE television. John, you were part of WrestleMania back in April, but this is an extended period of time now where you're every single Friday. John Cena's been on television screens on Fox. What have you learned? What's been different about this return for you on a weekly basis? Uh, you know, I've, I've always said that um, I got to get better quality merchandise. We got better lighting. <laughs> Come on, we oh, no, that's the lighting. That's the what you're talking about. The quality, the lighting so, is. <laughs> that's okay. That's, a, that's fine. We were given an 80% circumstance that a light <laughs> might fall. That, that's true. So moments that, ago, moments before we hit record. Fantastic. No, watch this. I'm, I can't get up because I think, no, I'm, I have enough cord. I don't I believe you're cord. tethered. Yeah, I am, but I'm just, I, I'm just going to do this. All right. 
This is, is also available on YouTube, so the WWE Universe can enjoy this as well. Put that back there. That's cool. That's there set designer, That's John cool. Cena. Backlit. Now, Good as uh, new. Nobody knows. So they were, they were being gracious to try to focus those uh, wristbands that you can get on WWE Shop. And of course, if you're there live, you can also get those. So we've plugged those. We don't need to light them anymore. We can just keep rolling on. <laughs> you're also wearing them, so they'll, they'll yeah, be Yeah, I mean, the here they are. Duration. Uh, what's different about this time? I am further and further away from um, the full-time nature of this product. And the I, I think the business, WWE and sports entertainment, is in a true golden age where not only has it... Uh, seen just a windfall of popularity, like a resurgence that I haven't seen since the late 90s. But also it has such a flux of talent. Every superstar is incredible. And what they can do is incredible. So uh, I've kind of had to take a a look at what I bring to the table in person and and maybe best uh, look within and, and, and see what's the best way to use my talent, strengths, and gifts. How's your perspective changed on the sports entertainment business, having spent the majority of your life and career here in WWE and now spending primarily most of your time in the, the Hollywood realm? Uh, does it, has it changed or, or skewed how you view this business now, having experienced the other side of the world? I, it's the opposite. Yeah? So initially getting some opportunities in Hollywood, it, I, I would say like, oh, it's completely different. Because it is. It's It's even more magnified than this setup. We don't have an audience. We have a few people behind the cameras, but it's, and the days are very long, and it's um, it's not instant gratification. You do a project, and then 18 months later, you promote a project, and then 22 months after you film it, it comes out, or sometimes even longer. Uh, but it's flipped, like it's the same. And I often say, when I came to WWE, there was a learning curve, and right around 2005, I became extremely comfortable in that learning curve, listening, surrounding myself with smarter people, which I always continue to try to do, and listening. And then my role changed, and I had to become the one who directs and talks. And boy, do I talk loud. But uh, that was around 2009-ish. And now I'm, I'm kind of scattered in whenever I can make myself available. I, I show back up, but the business has kind of evolved past what I could give in that respect. I feel like it's essentially 2005 or six again, where in Hollywood or away from WWE, I'm surrounding myself with people who are much smarter, have much more veteran experience, and I'm just listening. And they all want to teach because we all want to make whatever we're doing the best we can. So I'm learning from these great minds, and each each day is a new adventure and a piece of advice, but it's all just storytelling. It's the same thing we're doing here. So I used to think it was so opposite. It's the same. And I tell the WWE audience all the time that they have made me who I am. And they have. Because I've had to to endure so much from them. And they've taught me about uh, humility, being humble, the ability to listen, knowing your consumer, um, giving the best you can every night. The list goes on and on. But they've kind of set me up for this. And... I'm so grateful that they're supporting me through this as well. They're still going to see the stuff I'm in, and they're they're very vocal, so they're they're creating buzz did, on did social. You have trepidation when you first stepped into the Hollywood world that, that there could be that sort of uh, I don't want to say backlash, but the WWE fans sort of 
not following or sure, sort of sure. thing that you've, you've, um, you've because it's a them. it's a it's different than how you know the WWE universe would know me. They're very familiar with me like this. This is their comfort. This is what they know as me. Uh, and now I'm, you know, I'm taking chances doing stuff on screen that's not this. It's like becoming a merman? Like becoming a merman. <laughs> I Some watched t- that Saturday with my daughters. And, and I, I never got a chance to tell you this. When we met, uh, you met my, my kids in Pittsburgh, my daughters were extremely excited that they met John Cena, but not for the same reason that most of us are excited to know John Cena. They were excited because they saw you as a merman that's in right. the Barbie movie. That's right. And I said, oh, guys. I've got news for you. He's actually done a lot of really cool stuff. <laughs> but uh, that's what that's what it took. There was a little bit of, you know, trepidation of man. Is this uh, is this going to be a new thing? But then again, um, change is always uncomfortable and uncertain. And it's something I wanted to pursue, knowing that I only have so much tread left on the physical tires over here. Uh, and I really do love playing characters and telling stories. You're talking about the WWE universe. If you go back near ten years. They weren't a fan of John Cena, it seemed. The Some summer of Cena. Most of them. Some of them. of them. Yeah. How did you process yeah, that you in the there. moment, John? Because you, you, you were John Cena then, right? Like we see John Cena now. How did you process that in the moment? How did you overcome that? How did you beat that? So here we are talking about uh, me using my name as an idea, which I think is really cool. And that's how I process that. Uh, I realized that my intellectual property, in a sense, is an idea. This is an idea because there is so much more to me than just this. But when I'm in within these walls, I immediately change into this to encompass that idea. And it's not saying that um, my life outside of this doesn't mimic these core values. I might have a different sense of style, but this helps me operate within the confines of that idea. So how in the face of uh, polarization, as Michael Cole would say, um, was I able to navigate the waters and still p- do my best to portray a virtuous character with the traits of perseverance? Embody the idea and, and understand that it is an idea and not it's not the entirety of me. And I think that gives the audience a chance to like or hate the idea. And it also gives me a chance to navigate the waters a little bit uh, I, 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 uh, a little bit easier, I guess. Is it refreshing to you? Does it sort of light the fire again? Not that it ever faded or went out, that you have almost full support from the WWE universe. Here we are, sold out city after sold out city after sold out city. And now, conversely, not like 10 years ago, it's almost unanimous excitement that John Cena is here. You, you've almost reached a different realm. Uh, is that something you are cognizant of, or, or does it feel any different? So, again, um, I don't want to put myself in any special circumstance. I think that is the nature of what we do. Um, to, to be of any merit here, you have to win, and you have to win often, and you have to win for a long time. And fans get sick of that. Because if you're doing something that's working for you, you're, you may deviate a little bit left and a little bit right, but essentially you're, you're going to hit the same keys every night. Mm-hmm. We're, we're on all the time. I was a regular player on this show for 16 years. It's 52 weeks a year, no off-season, made most every date, came back from injuries early. Um, I can understand why a large portion of the audience is like, uh, I'd like a new flavor of whatever we're eating, please. You're like, I just defied all of the odds. I just did something nobody's ever done before. Well, just, I, that's, I think that's the underlying thing. Uh, like, I really do love being here. It's, it's why I enjoy going to NXT. 
uh, and I don't mean just being in the in that wonderful arena that they have, which is 450 of the loudest people I've ever heard. I go there on my days off to talk with talent to the superstars, like, hey, what's on your mind? No question off limits. Go for it. And my wife is kind enough. She knows that when I leave in the morning, I'm not coming back till 10 at night. I, I spend the whole day there just talking with superstars, trying to absorb, and they teach me as hopefully as much as I teach them. I, I love this. So I think that's another reason because sometimes, or, or if, you, if you chart most everybody's trajectory, sure, we have some long-term players, a Flair, Undertaker, but usually it's you have this short block of time where you are on fire, mm-hmm. and then you either turn bad or you take a little break. Then you come back, then you take a little break. Then you come back and you take a little break. And when you come back, there is a sense of nostalgia and romanticizing and a sense of like, wow, I might have missed this the first time around. So I, uh, I'm great, certainly grateful for the attendance and the support. Mm-hmm. But that's just kind of the nature of the beast. And as long as I continue to, to give heart and soul, which I, that's the one thing I can control is how much I give every day. Uh, hopefully everybody will, will be on board. But I... I promise you this, if I stayed on TV, if I stayed doing every show, it would leak back to back by WrestleMania back to being next year. <laughs> polarized because yeah. that's just the nature of our audience. Yeah. You know, and and that's great. I never cared about the noise. My biggest fear was apathy. That that non-focused silence. There's there's even the sound of focused silence. Mm-hmm. But that non-focused silence is is when you're dead in the water. It was really one of my main points the last time we spoke right. when, I, when I was speaking about Austin theory. And nothing I said to Austin out there I wouldn't say to his face. And we still talk on a regular basis and I still try to bestow on him advice. And I think he's he's working more towards connecting with the audience. But I could hear the silence of apathy when he would perform. And I, I know it is because I had it plenty. Mm-hmm. I single-handedly ruined the ruthless aggression era by completely <laughs> failing, by being the ruthless aggression guy and completely failing. So I know what apathetic silence sounds like. And that was, a one, that was just my one fear. Well, you talked about the advice you've given to Theory and, and the time you're spending at NXT. What do those conversations look and sound like now versus maybe last time you were here regularly talking to a, the last generation that came up through these, these halls? I applaud the NXT superstars for being brave and having courage and asking questions about stuff other than do I fall down correctly? Is my technique good? Because there's a lot more to this and there's a lot more to running right. If you run right and you're in the right state of mind, you you can give all you can. And we're taking talent from all over too, not just from lineage in independent wrestling, but we have a lot of people in the Next in Line programs who are getting a lot of athletes who are used to waking up early for practice, being coachable, doing drills until you don't want to do them anymore. So that sort of, well, let's break these guys with training mentality is kind of falling by the wayside because we have very talented people that we bring in from independent places. And the athletes are already athletes, fresh out of NC2A. Like, we might work them hard, but they're working they're hard over to, there, you yeah, know? So yeah. I, I think it gives, what I see is it gives uh, the NXT performers more freedom to be more vocal. And I always, whenever I talk with them, I always lead with vulnerability. I'll give anecdote after anecdote of, hey, I know you might be going through this. This is what happened to me then. 
I've seen this happen with other people. This is how they reacted. This is how I reacted. There is no wrong. I'm just trying to give you a window and like, it may not seem like I'm walking in your shoes and I can't be you, but we both are climbing the same hill. And I right. think that opens a lot of dialogue for, oh, I can share some stuff with this person. So I think the more I share, the more they openly want to share back. But John, I've been studying you and you do it in such a likable way. You speak with people. First time I met you uh, over by the commentary desk, you said, how's it going for you? And you meant it. And I could mm. tell. And that's rare. I've been in this business two and a half guy, years. New guy, world of <laughs> coming down yeah. on you. Everybody's <laughs> breathing down your neck, telling but it's you rare. what to say. I can't tell you the amount of times <clears throat> I say to people, how are you? And I get a good. And they keep walking. So for someone to say, and how are you? How's, how's, the, how's the job going? And then you said, how can I help? And I've noticed you at younger superstars doing the same thing. And you mentioned nostalgia. Is it in your mind that sometimes nostalgia can be recycled for more than it's worth and you forget about some of the parts? Mm. Is that something that's, that's conscious with you when you're speaking with the younger superstars? Well, uh, could you talk more about that? I'm not sure I understand what that you mean. You get the older superstars sometimes. Well, back in my day, we did this, this, and oh, this. Oh, sure. And you're nearly speaking to someone as opposed to with someone. I find that you ask questions of people first and you listen before you offer advice. I, that's a fair assessment, I, uh, and I, I certainly romanticize my era, and I romanticize my style of work, and my style is very different than everyone else's. If this was 1996, my style would be everyone's style. If this was 1989, my style would be everyone's style. But I had the luxury of learning from all of these really skilled people who worked in a very improvisational manner to give the audience their money's worth. That's all we're trying to do. We're trying to pack people in this place, send them home happy so they tell a friend. And they come back again. And in doing so, they, they get a favorite personality. I like this superstar, I like this superstar. F this guy, I wanna see him get his butt kicked. It's gonna bring him back. And that's the nature of what we do. It's, it is sports entertainment. So we have to make entertaining stories. And I do want to romanticize about like, ah, you just don't get it. And every time I catch myself saying that, the follow-up is no, I don't get it. The business changes, it's evolved. We used to be a live event company. Now we're a content company. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why we want to produce stuff extra slick and we want to make things look incredible and as crisp as they can. I can understand a superstar's trepidation for maybe not wanting to improv in the ring. Because again, I'm the loudest talker in the business but they shoot everything in super HD and they mic everything. And these are, these are things that didn't happen when I, when I started. But that's a hats off to our production department for knowing my style and working with me. But I can understand why the talent have evolved past that. And just because it's something that I like to do and the way I like to operate, I always preface any anecdote, any advice, any piece of information with the great thing about sports entertainment in WWE is it's chicken soup. There is no right or wrong way to do it and everyone has their own recipe. We can all make three different great chicken soups and they can all be very different. And every performer can have their own style and it can work for everyone. You know, there have been so many Hall of Famers that operate in, under a different construct. I just, I get a little frustrated because I see no one in practice of what I used to do. Maybe, maybe one, and that's Roman Reigns. Which is what? Uh, just feeling the energy of the audience and using all the drills you've done and all the, the fall downs that you've had 
to wait for the right time to do stuff. And Roman is a very improvisational guy and, and works that style. And uh, he, he, man, he's, he's, he's really incredible. The last time we had a conversation here, you mentioned how you tried, you looked at it as playing jazz. The ability yeah. to play jazz, yeah. react, and let the crowd sort of dictate, but you also tell them where we're going. You said that this generation has evolved past that, but you've been in the ring usually after we go off the air, yeah. live events, with a lot of today's talent. Have you had anybody that you felt the light bulb go off while you're in the ring, or have, has anybody said to you after the fact, I've never done it like this, I, I've never played jazz before, but man, that was fun. I really enjoyed that. Is that trans, does it still translate? Because I think evolved past your style. I don't know if that's necessarily accurate. I've never had anyone be like that sucked. I felt lost. Everyone has fun because you can't think about what's next. You think about the now. And if you're a fan, you're not thinking about what's next. You're thinking about what's now, which is what brings you to the edge of your seat, which is what makes you really loud. So it allows you to be a fan. I mean, like, everyone knows I'm a fan. And a lot of superstars will say that. But I've been a fan crushing beers at WrestleMania and enjoying it. Yeah. Like, and I went out there when doors opened and spent four hours with our fans because I'm a fan. And I enjoy those moments. And I think if you shut out our biggest superstar, the audience, it's just my philosophy, again, the no right, no wrong, if you shut out that superstar, you do a giant disservice to the to everybody watching, to the to the people putting their lives on the line, to the people watching at home. An anecdote, anecdote that I have, an iconic moment in WWE history is Hollywood Hulk Hogan and The Rock looking at each other and looking at the audience. How many times do we replay that back? A Every lot. package. These are two guys looking at each other and then looking away and then looking at each other. But if you look past it, if you look in the background, it's insanity. It's excitement. It's the craziest thing. And a lot of times that anticipation for, I know these guys are going to do something. Do something already. Like that you, when you play jazz, you can lean into that anticipation. You can lead that excitement. And the audience gives you that opportunity. When you just have everything memorized and choreographed, you don't give yourself any chance for like an impromptu solo in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the jazz reference or to just lay out and just let notes lean and just let it just hang in there. Like Pat Patterson was one of the greatest at it. Michael Hayes is extremely great at it. Marty Lundy was awesome in helping me curate that style. But like all of those great minds came at it from a different angle. But it was also the same philosophy of like don't do anything until it's time. How would I know? I don't know. You'll just know, and you'll hear it. <laughs> and I was lucky enough to be put in the ring with great performers like Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Eddie Guerrero, The Undertaker, the list goes on and on, who worked in that manner. And hats off to somebody like Triple H and Shawn Michaels, both who were instrumental in curating our talent today, both who have that tool in their tool belt, but also know that we have to train the talent in a way to, to keep up with the demands of what's going on right now. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I love being out there and I, I, every day I become more and more of a dinosaur because I think the business is evolving into, into different spaces. But as long as there's ticket buyers out there and people having a good time, I'll, I'll play jazz. I'm fascinated by the fact that you, you study the audience. 
before you go out, John, I see you backstage looking at what the audience are offering. How do you study the audience? What goes into that? They'll, our audience is great. Um, I would I would compare it to like a um, like a, a college football Saturday. They show up proud and they show up loud, and it's just a way for you to say, "Hey, what do they want tonight?" Our job isn't to do well for me. Our job is to give them what they want. And in those audiences that were polarizing, I would say, okay, this is a comment I might lean into more, or my demeanor might change. Uh, the AJ Styles John Cena match, an anecdote. Um, the very first one where the storyline essentially was, hey, they chose you because of the way you looked, but me, AJ Styles, if I'd been you, I'd been the greatest of all time. You shouldn't exist because I'm a better wrestler than you. So you get the virtuous John Cena against the very virtuous AJ Styles, and you see me outgunned because he is a better wrestler than I am. And that's the story we lean into. And because the audience was so polarizing and they were very much in the corner of AJ, you see the virtue crack and you see the temper hit the red line. And maybe I'm going to do something. Maybe, maybe. We didn't have to lean into that, but just those nuances of like, man, it's getting to them. And so many times you can play that with an audience that lets you know that that's okay. Wouldn't have even done any of that, any of the mannerisms, any of the expressions, if the audience was 100% supportive. I would have looked to them for support mm -hmm. and gone right back in there. That's because they're giving me that. But you don't, you don't know what that is unless you look at it. And these are people who are clamoring for you to look, to notice them. Whenever I go out, I look around and I'm talking to Stu and going crazy, but I'm also like, this is insane. Look at all these people. Look what they have on. Look at what they're saying. Look at what their signs say. You spend hours making a sign. Yes, it's to get it on TV, but it's also for people to see it. Mm -hmm. When I slide into the ring and I'm looking around, I'm doing the same thing. I'm just trying to get a grasp on who's, who's there tonight and what they could possibly want. And I'm not, I'm not perfect. I miss a lot. But at least I'm trying, at least I'm acknowledging that they're there and giving them pockets to express themselves. And I think that's super important because they are the biggest superstar we have. Hearing that anecdote, off the top of your head, do you recall a time where maybe the crowd changed the course or the, the beat of the story that, yep. that sustained, not just in the moment, not just a, yeah. well, tonight, Chicago, no. they're going to boo me, but where the crowd has gone, no, 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 we're not going that way, we're going this way. Cena and had Toronto. To Sorry? Cena Edge Toronto. Okay. Yeah. Great. Ladder match. Okay. Fair enough. Absolutely. And they never play the audio back. And I think I even said this in, um, we did a, a doc about Adam. They knew the audience was going to switch. Mm -hmm. We all did. Everyone knows. And the feeling behind the curtain was don't break. As soon as we got out there, okay, okay. As soon as we got out there, you can see me circling at the very beginning of this. And I know they mic the ring, so it's somewhere. I'm telling Edge, enjoy this. Do not let this go away. Drink this in. Because I know we can play with it. And the virtuous John Cena at the end, before he puts the, the hometown hero through two tables, looks down and be like, I don't want to do this. Mm -hmm. But I have to. And that's the way we can play with that virtue. And that's the way the audience can also understand like, Oh, this is serious. Wow. And we can lean into the fact that Edge is from Toronto. 
and he's got family in the audience. We don't have to ignore any of that. Like that's what makes the story. Right. Sometimes the bad guy is the local hero. Yeah. And that's okay. I remember a live event in Dublin with Seamus. I I asked to work Seamus in Dublin because I want the skill. I want to try to try to get the man hours. And when we hit Dublin, they wanted to change the car. They wanted me to work somebody else. They wanted Seamus to work Hornswoggle. I said, no, we advertise this. This is why people are here. Let's keep it. But they're going to hate you. Yeah, I know. So the night creeps on and creeps on, and it's for the championship, and then Seamus' music plays. And I'm right at the gate of the curtain, and I remember Miz running up to me and with a, such a mischievous look on his face. I'm like, what are you going to do? And my, music, <laughs> my music starts, and just casually I look back, and I'm just going to go out there and listen to him and do our best to make us both. And that's exactly what we did. And they hated me, and they loved him. And the way for us to explain that this was important was for us to beat the tar out of each other. So at the end of a half an hour, everybody's like, I don't like the Cena guy, but respect. And Tell me you course, got a point to Guinness after, Joe. I might have had a few. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was in a time in my life where I might have. Is that something you foresee maybe becoming a little more regular as the company continues to grow and expand its global footprints? I mean, we've got... A, Pay, premium live events coming up next year in Germany. Do you think there's going to be more of that there in is. a more common manner? No, there is. And it's something we should embrace. We should embrace the idea of a localized hero, no matter their personality. Um, I just, I, when we ignore it, I just, you, man, I just never will. I never will. And I understand the concept of why we ignore it, because there's, there's a whole planet of people watching our product but that planet of people watching also has ears and they can listen to the audience. And why not lean into that? Why ignore that massive story point? I just don't understand. Can I go back to a fellow you mentioned moments ago as someone who is the best today of this current generation at that feel, Roman Reigns. Mm. What makes him so special? He's a sponge and he's athletic and super intelligent, is a fan of this, and I mean all of this, and most importantly, a fan of psychology. I say the WWE Universe is the biggest superstar we have. Roman navigated those waters without them. And here's the thing with Roman. I don't think Roman is Roman if he doesn't have a, a, a time to work in front of no crowd. Interesting. Because the crowd was so against the fact that the company believed in Roman Reigns, I set the precedent of like, right. company guy, see ya. So everyone has a tough hill to climb once they become pushed. And there's a giant worry behind the curtain. We all know that too. We all know, okay, we gotta be careful with how this happens because we don't, wanna, we don't want this to happen. Um, that absolutely happened with Roman. And then it was when the crowd wasn't there that Joe could take more chances that Roman could be himself. Uh, there wasn't anyone to be like, that sucked or didn't work because you don't have the instant feedback. So night after night, he becomes this extremely nuanced, soft-spoken character, which is not the, welcome to SmackDown, everybody that, that they're used to. And as soon as they bring people back in, he had done such riveting programming that it's like, man, now I want to see this guy. And he has just done it better than I've ever seen. 
It's, he's, he's, he's the greatest of all time, in my, in my opinion. I, I never would have thought of the Thunderdome era as sort of like the incubator for what that Roman was, Reigns is. It was and the launching pad. I was there for it all, and but you was, didn't realize when you were in it what was happening. But now in hindsight, the way you said it, that makes perfect sense. And me watching it, it was very difficult for some performers to work without a crowd. I definitely would have been that person. Roman leaned into everything that it gave him and really made it cinematic mm-hmm. and so nuanced and so incredible. He got the viewer to do this. You know, like that's mm-hmm. without the energy of the audience. And I don't, I don't have that tool in my tool belt. I don't know how I would be able to do that because I've never done it. I right. did the, 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 Firefly, the Firefly Funhouse match. That was it. But it's, it's a very interesting environment when you don't have an audience. Is it surprising to you that such a long-form story has worked so well in an age that we're all goldfish clicking onto the next instantaneously? I have celebrated 21 years here, so I am a firm believer in the long-term story. It doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at all. I am a firm believer, especially in WWE and in sports entertainment. I know that, again, this is only my opinion, and it will be up for debate for sure. Uh, this is a, a meritocracy decided by the audience. If the audience makes noise, you're going to get another chance. You may not get immediately taken from the bottom to the absolute top, but everyone around here, regardless of how jaded, how much they like you or they don't like you, they all hear, and they all hear the audience. LA Knight's a perfect example of this. He's taking it one step at a time and earning it every single night, but he earns it every single night, and that's something they can't stop. That's the doctor of thugonomics. They couldn't stop it. Put me on the Saturday show, do whatever you want. They're loud. I think we may have to move them to Fridays. All right, we got to move them to Mondays. Nobody liked me, but they liked the noise. So I just believe that good work all the time begats another opportunity in the form of long-term story. If you ever stop being good, that's when you're a goldfish. I don't believe in, okay, I'm just going to go to the next thing. How many eight-episode shows do we binge and can't take the, our eyes off the TV for eight hours. How many full length, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do all the seasons of all the shows. Yes, we're a goldfish if it sucks. If it doesn't connect with us. Our audience wants to connect with you. They want to so bad. And it's, it's, it takes a lot of courage because you either have to show strength that may not necessarily exist in here, an attitude that may not necessarily exist in here, or vulnerability. And those are both very courageous moves. Why, in your opinion, is the business as a whole as red hot as it is right now? Historically speaking, in the 80s, you had the superhero, the rock and wrestling connection. And of course, you had the Attitude Era in the late 90s. It was very edgy, very Jerry Springer, Crash TV style. Uh, I, I don't see any direct reflection of sort of society in just WWE right now. Yep. But it's undeniable. I mean, financially speaking, content production-wise, WWE is bigger and better than it's ever been. From John Cena's point of view, where you sit now, why would you guess that is? I I think there's a lot to do with that. Uh, Production continues to never be complacent. So we continue to reinvent how we shoot and Mm -hmm. be better than than everybody else doing it. we got got a ghost here. That's all right. We'll keep that one there. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, We have just a bullpen full of 
talented individuals from, from a superstar standpoint. Mm -hmm. And it's deep, so deep we can run three brands that are awesome and still have people on the bench going, man, I'm just waiting for my turn. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do good to get my, my shot. I noticed that a few weeks ago. And actually, you were in the ring, but so was Cody Rhodes. Yep. So was L.A. Knight. Yep. So was Jey Uso. It has been a long, long time since we've had multiple top-tier fan favorites. For the longest time, there was sort of, there was John Cena, there was sort of a couple people in your orbit. Yes. But to have that, like, oh, okay, we saw that last week. All right, well, we'll give them this this week. Yes. There are options now. Yeah, and I also, uh, I still, I know I'm bringing up the pandemic again but we never went off the air. That's true. And when people needed programming, when people needed an escape, WWE is a fantastic escape. When they needed some sort of whimsy in their life, when they needed a, a storyline, something, something to yell, maybe throw a shoe at the TV or something, we were there. Yeah. And we always are there. And, and do you think that sort of for, forged a, like a subconscious connection to fans? I don't think it's subconscious at all. If you're looking to find what's on, and you're sick of watching information, because that yeah. was the only thing that was broadcast, right. you can watch some entertainment. And all you got to do is connect with one person. That's why every generation was like, oh, I used to love Jimmy Superfly Snugger or Hacksaw Jim Duggan or Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Rock or like The Undertaker's my guy. They don't, very few people will be like, these are my guys. And they'll list 18 people. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they say they're a fan or they're not a fan. And then they'll say, but this one guy, or I'm a fan, this was my guy, or this was my superstar. Speaking of legends, I was at the Cody Rhodes premiere for Becoming Cody Rhodes yep. recently, and he spoke afterwards, John, and he was asked about the likes of Ric Flair, Undertaker being part of that documentary. And he, and, and he said, look, it's great, it's wonderful. But he said, the business is healthier than ever before right now. It is. They should all be marking out about us. That was his response. They should be returning to praise this current era and do all they can to help us. How do you feel about that? I agree with that perspective. And um, I don't know what merited Cody's comments, but my thing is, if you win 16 championships, and I'm not talking about Rick, I'm talking about me, and, you, and then you go, and you don't care, and you're not proud of the place when you left it, it's gonna fall apart. And if it falls apart, what do those 16 championships mean? Nothing, nothing. The goal is to do your time, put all your energy in, and it's the cycle of life. You, you gain momentum, people give to your momentum, and then you give away, and you should leave with a zero. None, because that means you gave it all up, passed the torch up, and not a lot of folks have been able to say, okay, I passed the torch up. Through the, the periods of WWE, it's gone through some tremendous booms. We are, I mean, if you, if you look at data, data points aside from TV ratings, everything is in the stratosphere. It's in another universe. So we're, we're doing the best we've ever done. And that's very little thanks to me. That's thanks to guys like Cody, guys like Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns, uh, all of our superstars currently now who are performing have made this thing successful. I'm not going to come back and be like, yeah, but it's not this. I'm gonna say, it's not this, it's, it's this, and this is better than when I was in it. And I have no problem saying that because I believe that the data shows it to be true. You've been giving a ton of credit to everybody throughout this conversation, you know, guys who came before you, guys who are here now. 
Currently, when you make your entrance into any WWE arena, you are referred to as the greatest of all time. That is, uh, that is an idea that doesn't belong to me, sir. I, that is I not understand. my opinion. I know it's not. I was getting there. This was not a self-referential I guess, I guess I've nickname. gotten away with my own name long enough, and I had to put a <laughs> moniker on it. So, so you're sort of answering my question me, without uh, an answer. Uh, I'm just the goat. Me, uh. <laughs> That's that's the after the bell meme. Me, uh. <laughs> there it was. What would you be the takeaway? The face, the Johnson the goat face. In your opinion, whether you believe that that is befitting you or not, is there is there something left for you to accomplish before you realize or feel that okay, I can put a, a ribbon on this and call it a day and walk off into the sunset? The the great thing about WWE is there's always another show, and. There's always something to accomplish. I think individuals tend to look at it selfishly. Can I win a 17th championship? I haven't won the Intercontinental Championship. I wanna win another Money in the Bank. I wanna win another Royal Rumble. It could be like, I'd like to help Roman Reigns become a, a larger global phenomenon. I would like to be Austin Theory's mentor. I would like to um, do as many live events as I possibly can because physically I'm, I'm able to do them mm -hmm. and just give the yield of trying to give whatever I have left to an audience that cares while they care. Uh, I don't look at accomplishments in, in, a, in a perspective of I need to win another championship. I need to do this. I just need a chance to get out there in any capacity. And then I want to be able to take that, okay, what's the hand I've been dealt? All right, I'm going to try to play this the best I can. I don't think I'll ever run out of things to possibly accomplish. The, the sad struggle that I have every day is I'm 46, I'll be 47 in April, and everyone is so skilled that I, I can't do the things I used to do anymore. And I don't know if you've been watching my stuff, but I don't do that much. So I also want to be able to contribute to the WWE and then walk away from it. And I mean, like, walk away from it. Not all hunched over and not um, broken and beaten, but appreciative and healthy. And with a perspective of, this is a great chapter in the story of my life and one that has made me who I am. And how special has it been for you to have your wife along for the journey, being able to check out this room? It's been incredible because I think when you certainly my perspective of when you, when you partner with someone and you love someone, you want to be able to share with them all aspects of your life. And WWE has been such a big chapter in my life. Not only has my wife been here uh, in ringside, but she's seen every aspect of the business. We go into the production truck. She has written dialogue with me. She's sitting and listened to how matches are and is a great sounding board for does this make sense? Because this is her first real in-depth experience with WWE. So if I know we can reach her, we have a chance to reach anybody in the audience. And I don't say that as a negative, but sometimes we get a room together of minds who are talking quantum theory when we need to be talking addition. And that's what makes her presence very valuable. It's because I, I hang out with the quantum theory folk. We live in the bubble. Yes. Yes. The outsider and perspective from time to time. A lot of times we just want to, hey, is this, do you understand this? No. But, I mean, it sounds fun to you guys. Okay, I got to circle back and I got to 
I got to check. Or just when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out what to say, does this make sense? And I can look back and figure out, oh, I'm, I'm being too wordy here. I'm, I'm being too inside here. Or I know you don't get this, but this is a time to be inside. Go out there and, and see if it works. And man, after the show, well, it, this worked, this didn't. Uh, this was good, this was bad. It's just another sounding board to be able to, to learn. And I, I learned a lot from her. I'm very grateful she's here. So now, now when I talk about, well, back in 2008, we did a, a media day, and then we went into the, to the garden to do this, and then we flew to Tokyo to do that. She, she knows what every aspect of that is. And it's great because I feel as if I can more openly share my life with her, and she gets it. So cool thanks for saying that. How does John Cena unwind these days? Uh, Pine against every now and then. Um, Are you Guinness man? I am. Really? I am. When did that come about? I mean, it's been a while. We were in a pub. We were in a pub in Tampa one night. Yeah. Do you remember? I was there with Seamus, mm. and uh, the barman said, "Yeah, John Cena was here one night for a pint of Guinness years ago," and he said, "I FaceTimed my son." So why are you asking me like you're a Guinness man? You have tr- you have proof. You, the Greg, Sasquatch not, left the Guinness man. I, I gave you the. He's a light beer guy. I'm just curious. That's okay. You know? Guinness That's is okay, an important man. taste. Yes, and I like it. I like it. It's good. All right, John, I know you're an extremely busy guy. We appreciate the time you've spent hanging out here with us. I'm going to ask you this last question. Not to put the cart before the horse, yeah. but by your own admittance, there's only so much tread left on the tires. Perfect world, perfect scenario. How does the story of John Cena in WWE come to an end? I love that question. Because, again, there's a lot of different perspectives, right? Uh, anyone else sitting here would probably craft a scenario where, oh, in my mind, the perfect thing is to do this at this event with this individual. Mm-hmm. I just want to do what's best for the WWE. That has been my order of operations since I walked in this building. And it hasn't changed, and it's my way of thinking, but it's, it's done me pretty well. So I think when I express, when I'm courageous enough to express to those making choices, like, hey, this is... This is it. I do what they tell me to do because I believe in full faith that they are doing what's best for business. So whenever this has to, whenever it comes to an end, and it will, uh, whatever is deemed the best thing for the WWE is exactly what will be the perfect moment, period. Beautiful. John, if I could ask one more. Yeah, fire away. Your career as a whole. If you could summarize it. Your career as a whole. As a whole. <laughs> Your career as a whole. The as a whole. Put the baby as, as a whole. Slow it down, Kev. Slow it down. As a whole. If you could summarize it in one I am affirmation, what would it be and why? Okay, so I got to mesh two words together. Gratefully lucky. Grateful uh, lucky. Grateful <laughs> lucky. I like that. Great <laughs> no, that's a bad mashup. We're gonna we're gonna work on it. We're gonna work on it because that's not genuinely true. Yeah, she she you get it. You talk about it anyway. Um, I'm lucky because I f- fell into this all by accident. My story's out there, but it's it's an accident, and I've been able to. I did it as a hobby and wanted nothing ever more than that. I just love you know, being a larger than life character on weekends at flea markets. And I, this is the only job I've ever had in my life. So I'm extremely lucky. 
and I'm grateful. I'm grateful to have done it as long as I can, uh, as long as I have. I'm grateful for the opportunities I've been awarded. Uh, I, I show gratitude for those opportunities, one, vocally, and two, just by not ever letting up. Uh, if I'm taking a break from something, I, I come home. You know, um, I never slow down, or I'm, I'm, I'm slowing down a little bit more nowadays, but uh, and just grateful for the, for the audience. And, and grateful for the connection that we've had. Because I meet so many people now that are courageous enough to be like, hey man, I used to boo you, but man, it's pretty cool to see you back. That's cool. And I also meet folks who are like, I booed you then, I booed you now, it's never gonna change. And I meet people who be like, yo, you said this, and it has changed the path of my life. So I get to do what I love, call it my, my career, and get really cool stories about like, hey man, I, I almost did something really bad and you kind of turned it around and changed the trajectory of how I live. Or I have a relationship with my family because of WWE. Thank you so much. Like I'm so grateful. There's not, uh, grateful and lucky. Like this doesn't, this doesn't and shouldn't happen to anyone. Well, we are lucky to still have you around. We are grateful for your time. And I mean this man to man, not because we're hosting a podcast and I'm a fan. Thank you for all of your contributions. Oh, thank you, guys. For this game, this business, this company, we are all grateful to have the greatest of all time. You son of a bitch. <laughs> hanging out for a few months more. We're going to enjoy it till the wheels fall off, my Indeed. friend. Indeed. Thank and you until so we much, talk John. again. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. Thank guys. You. And we are grateful for you for hanging out for episode 200 of After the Bell. I 200. can't believe we made it this far. Here's to another 200. We'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE. After the bell.